This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, if you were listening to this on time, happy New Year's Eve 2020. Guys, there's been a lot of things that have gone down this year. I've done a few podcasts here to end the year that have just kind of been a summary of some of my favorite books, my favorite podcasts. But this podcast today is going to serve as a summary for 2020. This is our year in review podcast. We're going to look at everything from the world of politics, the world of entertainment, the world of sports. We're going to recap a lot of news that maybe you've forgotten about, uh, some news that maybe just flew under your radar a little bit. And we're also going to look forward to 2021, some of the big stories that will probably dominate the news in 2021, the stuff that we know of at least. But before we really get into that, and this is a little bit of a year in review, a little bit of an update, but episode 169 of this podcast, it was called RIP Ravi Zacharias. Okay. So obviously for those of you that don't know who Ravi Zacharias is, he is a world famous apologist, a Christian apologist and philosopher who passed away uh, earlier this year. I believe it was in May, but over the last couple of months, there's been some allegations of sexual assault that have been levied against him. Um, you know, had to do with a massage parlor that he was a part owner in. And in episode 169 of that podcast, I went into the allegations. I went into how unfortunate it was that he wasn't here to defend himself and how RZIM, that's his ministry, Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, was doing their own internal investigation and that they had hired an external firm to do the internal investigation and how I didn't think that would be very fruitful because I would be attacking themselves and blah, blah, blah. I also went into a lot of other things, but there has been an update. So this update came on uh, the 23rd of December, so the day before Christmas Eve. And so I'm just going to read this update from the board of directors of RZIM just to kind of give you an update as to where the story is now. So here we go. In August 2020, allegations of sexual misconduct were made against our founder, Ravi Zacharias. Unfortunately, Ravi had died several months before we first learned of these allegations, so we were unable to explore them with him directly. We engaged Miller & Martin PLLC to investigate these allegations while also giving them wide latitude to go wherever their investigation might lead them. We had also repeatedly stated our intention not to comment on the investigation until receiving final report on it. However, while the investigation remains ongoing and is not expected to be completed until January or February, yesterday we received a brief interim update on the investigation and we felt we needed to share. Sadly, the interim investigation update indicates this assessment of Robbie's behavior to be true and that he did indeed engage in sexual misconduct. This misconduct is deeply troubling and wholly inconsistent with the man Ravi Zacharias presented both publicly and privately to so many, uh, many over more than four decades of public ministry. We are heartbroken at learning this, but feel it necessary to be transparent and to inform our staff, donors, and supporters at this time, even while the investigation continues. We will speak more comprehensively to all concerned after the completion of the investigation. We are devastated for those who have suffered from Ravi's misconduct and for the pain that they are enduring. They have asked our confidentiality and anonymity, and both we and the investigators are committed to honoring their wishes. This preliminary statement is not intended to cut short the investigation or predict its full outcome. We want to ensure the investigators we have appropriate investigators have appropriate time and space to complete their work and all allow all those who may still desire to have a voice in this process to do so. We ask for continued patience as we complete a lengthy process of investigating serious allegations. RZIM will publicly release the Miller and Martin report as given to the board as soon as possible after the investigation is complete. In the meantime, we share our compassion for any victims of this conduct and we appreciate your prayers for them and also for Robbie's family who have been devastated by this information. As ever, the Lord remains our principal hope for healing and restoration. And so that was a message from the executive committee of the uh, Robbie Zacharias International Ministries Board of Directors. And so um, obviously terrible news, terrible news for a lot of reasons, 
the main reason why it's terrible news is obviously for the people that were affected by this directly, the people that suffered at the hands of Robbie Zacharias, literally, um, in the sexual assault that they uh, experienced. Uh, however, minor it might seem to some or, or major it might seem to others. It was obviously something that wasn't uh, should have never happened. It was something that is evil, uh, something that was absolutely sinful and horrific. And so uh, I, I feel so badly for these women that have endured that and will continue to have to endure that. Uh, secondarily, I guess I feel horrible for Robbie Zacharias's wife who survived him and his children um, to learn these things about that man um, after he had already passed away has got to be absolutely gut-riching. Um, for the people that support RZIM and the people like me that are fans of Robbie Zacharias and the work that he's done for the kingdom and, and ministry, it sucks. It sucks really, really bad because the thing is, is it doesn't wipe away the 40 years of, of ministry that he did have, the, the, the 40 plus years of ministry, but it does tinge it. Uh, a little bit. It, it's it's got a little bit of a different hue when when you look back at it. Um, and that's the thing, guys. Is if you'll remember back on episode one sixty nine, I said I wouldn't be surprised if the allegations were true because I wouldn't be surprised if those allegations were true of anybody. Because especially when it's a public figure that you don't know personally, it, it's going to come as a shock that you just don't know the inner workings of that person. And so this obviously became true about Robbie Zacharias, but from the sounds of it, uh, even his own family were not aware of his misconduct in this area. And so very, very sad news. But I do stand by my comments in 169, where I basically said that that doesn't wipe away the things that he was able to do. Um, if you go look at my book list, the 100 books that every modern Christian man should read list, and you just go down those lists of authors, some of those authors have done some pretty horrific things. I, and I don't want to name any specifically. I mean, you can go look at the list and, and figure it out for yourself. But Ravi Zacharias has a book on that list, right? And so I'm not one of those people that's going to cancel somebody, you know, ad hoc or cancel somebody after the fact or cancel somebody, you know, that they've already passed away. Oh, they said this horrible thing back in the 40s. And, you know, we just can't stand by that. I think it's okay to look at history through the lens of truth and look at history and say, look, this was a bad thing that this person did. But that's not the only thing that they did. Look at all these other things. Again, go back to the Race in America series. Talk about Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson was apparently a incredibly morally reprehensible human being. Slaveholder uh, held one of his slaves as a sexual slave, right? And, and impregnated her and got, you know, had kids with her and those types of things. But he also wrote the Declaration of Independence, which led directly to the... Uh, the abolishment of slavery, uh, the abolition of slavery in the United States, and, and really kind of was a, a through point to abolish slavery across the globe. And so when we look back at these people, that's not always going to be cut and dry. Okay. Um, and I'm not in any way, shape or form absolving Robbie Zacharias of any things that he has done. I think it's absolutely terrible. Uh, what he has done, he deserves punishment for what he has done. And, uh, if he did receive that punishment, it didn't happen in this world. Unfortunately, it's going to happen in the next world. It's going to happen uh, to his family here that are still left here. It's going to happen to the organization that bears his name. And there's probably going to be a lot of changes. I would not be fully surprised if they changed their name away from being Robbie Zacharias International Ministries. I wouldn't be surprised if on their podcast, uh, they didn't put his speeches on there as much or at all. Uh, there's going to be a lot of changes coming. And it's really, really unfortunate because Robbie Zacharias has done some really incredible things for the kingdom. Uh, and just to be honest, I will continue to to read uh, the things that he has written. I will continue to learn from the thing that he has taught me about how to use philosophy and how to uh, propagate the gospel across the globe. But there's uh, there's an update on that. Had to go for that before we move on to everything else. But let's go ahead and do our 2020 year in review. And real quick, before we get into some of the specific stories, I just want to do a quick review on what 2020 was like for me personally. Okay, very, very quick run through. But as I've said on this podcast before, my 2019 was a lot of people's 2020. 
So a lot of people had a horrible 2020 and for a lot of reasons, you know, personal reasons, health reasons, whatever, 2019 was that for me. We had a really, really rough year uh, in our marriage and this was before Sweet Baby James came, but 2019 was was not very good at all. 2020 was much, much better. Obviously in May, Sweet Baby James was born into our family, our first child and first son, so that is a huge deal. Um, the COVID lockdown for me led to a lot of really cool things just from a physical standpoint because... I didn't really change how I trained, right? I mean, my jujitsu gym was closed for a month or two, but in terms of lifting, in terms of the types of things that I was doing, I didn't really change anything, but I did do some PRs. Like I wanted to see, okay, how many reps of pull-ups could I do? How many, you know, bench press 225, how many reps could I do? Like how many, like I did all these different, you know, max out things. And so I had a lot of PRs. I kind of got to see where I was at. Uh, this podcast has grown a lot. Uh, we've got a lot of people that listen, not just in the United States, but across the globe. Um, we've had a lot of interviews this year. We had probably two dozen interviews with some really incredible people. And we're looking to do the same thing in 2021 to bring some of those people back, but also to expand out into other audiences. Uh, just again, for me personally, no major injuries or surgeries, which was another thing at 2018, 2019, I, I had some surgeries and had some major injuries from jujitsu and didn't have to experience all, all of that. Another kind of weird thing, almost every single book that I read this year was good. I mean, I can really point to one book and it's the one that I talked about alone at dawn when I talked about on the, the books podcast of the year. That one was a little disappointing, but I, I've, a couple of years ago, almost every book I read was junk. And so this was a very, very good year for reading. And so for me personally, 2020 was a good year. And I'm not saying that to be like, oh, look at you guys, you know, you got egg on your face. You got this horrible 2020. I'm just saying it, it was a good year for us. I, I feel very, very blessed. I feel like God has really spoken into our lives this year. But let's go over some things that happen in this world. Let's go ahead and kind of do a year in review for 2020. So let's look at the world of entertainment. So some things that you might not be aware of. Here's some of the biggest things in entertainment for this year. The highest grossing movie of the year, which guys, I gotta be honest. I didn't even know this movie released. This is how crazy 2020 was is bad boys for life. Okay. So that that's the third bad boys movie with Will Smith and uh, Martin Lawrence. And this is, uh, it, it grossed just over $200 million worldwide. But again, in most years that wouldn't even really register, right? This was a movie that was released very early in the year. I think in February or March, this is why movie theaters were still open. And so interesting that that ended up being the biggest movie of the year, but there you go. The biggest album of the year was Folklore by Taylor Swift. So for any of you Swifties out there or Taylor Swifters, I don't know what you call yourselves. That was the biggest album of the year. Biggest song of the year was a song called Blinding Lights uh, by The Weeknd. And guys, if you want to feel old, because I'm not that old, I just turned 34 this year, but go look at the Billboard Top 100 songs of 2020 and just start reading through the bands, reading through the artists. Even the ones that you know, you don't know the song that they released. Like, goodness gracious, I felt so old reading through that list. But there you go, Blinding Lights, the most watched YouTube video of the year. This is not going to be a shock to parents, but it's the Baby Shark Dance video by Pink Fong, right? So, Baby Shark, do, 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 you know, that one, you, you know what I'm saying. Guys, I was shocked when I saw this number. Over 7 billion views, billion with a B, 7 billion views for that video. Unbelievable. Best-selling nonfiction book of the year was A Promised Land by Barack Obama. I think I just threw up in my mouth even reading that. It's amazing. Barack Obama, while he was a senator, he didn't have time to write any bills or do any of those things while he was in Congress, but he did manage to write two memoirs about himself 
And this is his, I think his third memoir, but it's part one of a part two. And this is like a 700 page memoir. But again, everyone thinks Barack Obama is basically mixed race Jesus. That's fine. If you love Barack Obama, it is what it is. Not a huge fan, but that is the best-selling book of the year. Then we got the best-selling fiction book of the year. That's Where the Crawdads Sing by Delia Owens. Didn't hear much about that, but there you go. The most watched TV series on television, so not Netflix or Amazon Prime or something like that. Most watched TV series on TV in 2020, NCIS. And then the most liked tweet of 2020. What's interesting about this tweet, it's actually the most liked tweet of all time. And this was released or posted rather on August the 28th. And that was from Chadwick Boseman's account. So Chadwick Boseman is the actor who played, uh, most famously, he played Jackie Robinson in 42. Uh, He was uh, Black Panther in the Marvel movies and those things. Apparently, this guy had colon cancer for the last four years, and he managed to keep it incredibly private. So I think his agent knew about it, his family knew about it, but like his co-stars didn't know about it, the public didn't know about it. And then all of a sudden, there's this tweet that's released saying that he had died, and he had been battling colon cancer the whole time. I think he died uh, at stage three. That tweet had seven and a half million likes. So for some of you guys that are on Twitter and you're like, oh, I got 10 likes. That's awesome. Seven and a half million likes. It was a very poignant post. Uh, There was basically a message from the family announcing the death and and kind of the reasons why he wanted to keep it private. But it was very, uh, very nice. Uh, It led to a lot of memorials uh, for this particular guy, for Chadwick Boseman. So that was the most liked tweet of 2020. Now we're going to move on to the world of sports. So I know you guys are all into sports for the most part. Weird year for sports. We'll get more to that for a second. College football. You may have forgotten, LSU stomped Clemson in the national title game on January 13th of this year, 42-25. to LSU went 15-0 and behind Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow was the number one pick, went to Cincinnati, you know, subsequently got hurt in Cincinnati. But LSU, this year's LSU team, technically the 2019 LSU uh, Tigers, they might be the greatest football team in history, the greatest college football team in history. I mean, 15-0, first team to ever do that. They had a couple of tight games, one against Auburn, one against Alabama, but for the most part, they they pretty much ran through the rest of their schedule and they played one of the hardest schedules in the country. So that happened this year. But then guys, there was only one major sport that I considered to have a non-asterisk world championship this year, and that's the NFL. So the Kansas City Chiefs beat the San Francisco 49ers 31-20 to on February the 2nd. The final score is a little bit uh, not indicative of what how the game went. The 49ers were in complete control of that game. Uh, Kansas City Chiefs stormed back. Uh, it was a nice big win. It was their first championship since 1969. So 50-year drought on their championship pretty much. But the reason why I say that's the only non-asterisk world championship is because the World Series, the Stanley Cup Final, and the NBA Championship, uh, the NBA Finals, those were not played with fans. And so the NBA thing happened in the bubble. NHL thing didn't happen with fans. You know, with baseball, it was technically in a bubble because they played at that stadium down in Texas. The Los Angeles Dodgers, the Los Angeles Lakers, and I have no idea who won the the Stanley Cup. Sorry, guys. Um, You know, sorry to my listeners in Canada or for anyone in the North that, that really cares about that sport. But none of those people, none of those teams had to win a single game on the road. Okay. Especially in basketball, that makes a big difference. Okay. So I don't really consider those championships to be incredibly valid. History will record them as championships. But again, one of the major sports, the NFL, actually had a full-on championship this year, and that was won by the Kansas City Chiefs. Also, we saw the 2020 Summer Olympics canceled. Uh, Those were supposed to take place in Tokyo. So for a lot of guys, especially myself, I'm a huge Summer Olympic fan. So that's being postponed, 
rescheduled something or other we we don't really know what that's going to look like uh this year we also have some new undisputed ufc champions so for those of you that follow the ufc peter yan uh he's a bantamweight champion he's a 135 pound champ he beat jose aldo on july the 11th jose aldo should have never even been in that fight but you know he had a decent showing but peter yan just basically destroyed him by the end then we have devinson figueredo so he's the flyweight champion at 125 he beat joseph benavidez on july the 18th it's actually the second time this year that he beat joseph benavidez but the first time uh, figueredo did not make weight so he's a new champion and then we have Jan Blakowicz uh he's a light heavyweight champion he beat Dominic Reyes on September the 26th very very surprising because Dominic Reyes in in my estimation beat John Jones and Jan Blakowicz uh knocked him out in the the very very I think it was first round or second round but he he knocked him out knocked him dead um and for those of you that think I may have forgotten Justin Gaethje he did not win an undisputed title this year. He did beat Tony Ferguson for the interim 155-pound lightweight title, uh, but Habib Nurmagomedov was still the champion. He was just basically taking some time off to mourn the passing of his father. Also, big news for this year in the world of sports was the Last Dance documentary began airing on April the 19th. So that is the documentary that ESPN and Netflix put together about Michael Jordan. And so that is a 10-part documentary. Uh, basically, the way ESPN was doing it is they were releasing two episodes a week for five straight weeks. And guys... That was that's one of my highlights of the year. I enjoyed that documentary so much. I watched it all the way through as it was showed live, and then I watched it through again here a couple of months ago. Again, Michael Jordan, maybe the greatest sports star in the history of sports. I mean, he's up there with with Babe Ruth in terms of his, you know, his his impact and his worldwide impact at the time. Um, what a, what an interesting look at him and the team and kind of getting into the mindset of Michael Jordan and the rest of of the Bulls teams that that made him so great, made everybody attached to him so great. So one of the best documentaries I've ever watched. Incredibly, incredibly satisfied with that. Also, we had Tyson Fury, TKO, Deontay Wilder, and their rematch this year on February the 22nd to win the WBC, the ring, and the lineal heavyweight titles. Um, you know, it was kind of a weird fight. Deontay Wilder, again, he's that one-punch knockout power uh, like we, we maybe never seen in the heavyweight division in boxing before, but Tyson Fury is a superior boxer to Deontay Wilder, and Tyson Fury really put it on him. He, he really came forward, put a lot of pressure on him, and he, he may have even busted his eardrum at one point, and the fight was actually stopped by his corner. Um, and then the last thing, I guess, we'll point out in the world of sports this year is Mike Tyson and Roy Jones fought. So (laughs) that's a thing that would have been really awesome had it happened, you know, I don't know, 15 years ago, but Hey, on November 28th of this year, those two got in the ring. Seemed like they had a little bit of a gentleman's agreement that they weren't going to try to kill one another. So it looked like they were going really, really hard to the body with body shots, but they weren't going as hard to the head. But that was interesting for for those guys to be in their 50s. Uh, Roy Jones didn't look great. Mike Tyson looked really, really good. Uh, It was technically a draw because they didn't actually have full-on judges or anything like that. It was just an exhibition. But those are some of the cool things that happened this year in the world of sports. But I will say the biggest sports story of 2020 was the NBA going full BLM. Okay. So the NBA bubble began on in July, right? So there was the big shutdown. Then they came back out. They, they did the bubble and you got to hats off to the NBA. They, they really did a great job with the bubble. It ended up being okay. You know, without being fans in there, it was basically an AAU tournament, but it, it is what it is. But when they did release the court, they released the court with black lives matter and blazing real big on the court. They allowed the players to have whatever they called social justice messaging on their jerseys, right? 
Now, a lot of the social justice messaging, they had a basically accepted list of things that you could put on your jersey. You couldn't put things, you know, like abortion is murder or communism is murder or, you know, you couldn't do any of those types of things. But they had their acceptable list of things that you could put on their jersey. Um, The Milwaukee Bucks, after the shooting of Jacob Blake, which looks to be at this point the, you know, the acceptable shooting of Jacob Blake, um, they, they refused to play their game. And at a certain point, it looked like the NBA bubble was going to completely cancel. There were reports that came out that the Los Angeles Lakers and Clippers were both going to forfeit the rest of the season out of protest for the Jacob Blake shooting and systemic racism and all that. But that was the biggest sports story of 2020. And a lot of people aren't going to look at it that way. But the NBA is going to struggle for a while now because the NBA basically told half of their fans, they're like, we don't care about your opinion. We know that you think Black Lives Matter is an organization, but to us, it's just a sentence. It's just an innocent little sentence, no big deal, and they went full woke. And they're going to suffer the consequences from that. Because a lot of people are like me, to where it's like, hey, there's a lot of things that I can do with my time as opposed to, you know, watching two or three hour NBA games several times a week, right? So for me, I'm an Oklahoma City Thunder fan, but right now, I'm not paying attention to the NBA at all. I've turned off all my notifications. You know, I'll see some stuff that comes through on Twitter. No big deal. Like, you know, you kind of see what you see, but I'm not going to be supporting that game. I'm not going to be supporting an association that takes up the mantras of a Marxist organization like Black Lives Matter and to let their, their players who are uneducated on most of the issues that they're talking about to, to spout these platitudes uh, about justice and about equality like, I'm sorry, most of these people couldn't even give you a cogent thought as to why they believe the way that they believe, but they're going to sell, you know, a hundred thousand jerseys that have world peace on the back or something, some stupid like that. So that was the biggest sports story of 2020. But I do, before we move off of sports, I got to talk about the dumbest sports story of 2020. This is one of the dumbest sports stories I've ever heard or seen or witnessed in my entire Life And some of you are automatically going to think I'm sexist. And just by saying that, I think some of you already figured it out. But it was when the Vanderbilt football team officially became a parody. Because Vanderbilt football is awful. They are atrocious. They won zero games this season. They are a joke in the SEC. But Sarah Fuller became the first woman to suit up and play in a Power 5 conference NCAA football game. Okay? Now, the interesting thing about that is... What is a woman? Most of the people that were like super excited about this, there are also people that think, you know, there's no such thing as gender. Gender is kind of this fluid thing. So interesting that they're calling Sarah Fuller a woman. Do they know she's a woman? Did, did she identify as a woman when she made those kicks? But I'll, I digress a little bit. But Vanderbilt, okay, their normal kicker, their normal place kicker was out of a game because of COVID exposure. I don't know if they had COVID or they were just exposed to COVID. So basically they didn't have kickers, right? They had, they had a punter, but they didn't have kickers. So Vanderbilt, announces that the women's soccer goalie, the, the women's soccer goalie for Vanderbilt, would suit up for the men's football team and play against Mizzou on November the 28th. So I remember when that was just announced, like, oh my gosh, this is groundbreaking. This is amazing. She'll be the first person ever. Okay. And the thing about it is Vanderbilt's so bad. They didn't have the opening kickoff. So there was no chances for them to kick basically for the entire first half. But then at halftime, this is before everything else. But at halftime, Sarah Fuller demanded to do a halftime speech. So here she is in a room with about 60 scholarship players, males, and all the coaches and everything like that. She demands to do a halftime speech. And what were the contents of her halftime speech? Guys, you aren't cheering loud enough. 
You're, you're just not cheering loud enough. You're not supporting your teammates. You're not getting up. You know, when we got to stop on third down, I was the only one clapping. So isn't it interesting that even after all this and after all the, the ways that we've progressed as a people to let women have all these different rights, all she wanted to be was a cheerleader. <laughs> like at the end of the day, all she wanted to do was cheer the team along. So she basically chastises all these men for not cheering loud enough. And then the second half starts. She comes out there. They put the ball down and she proceeds to do a squib kick. Now, some people have looked at that play and said, oh man, this girl sucks. She can only kick the ball like 30, 35 yards. That's the wrong read. That's the wrong read. She did exactly what she intended to do. A squib kick, if you watch any amount of football, that that happens. If you've got a dangerous uh, returner in the back, you may not want to kick it deep. Uh, maybe if you've got some sort of an injury, you're just trying to squib it. Maybe you're, tr- maybe you're trying to do a kind of like a, a, a onside kick type thing that's not kind of the typical onside kick, but you kick it a little bit farther, hoping that some of your uh, some of your folks can get down there to get the ball. But she kicks it down there. It's recovered by Mizzou. Oh, it's the greatest thing that's ever happened, ever. It led Sports Center. It led Sports Center. A chick did a squib kick and kicked it 35 yards. But you know what none of the people on ESPN, none of the people writing for Sports Illustrated, none of the people writing on the blogs online mentioned why they did that kick? Because if she did kick it deep, we're going to go ahead and assume that that ball would not have sailed anywhere towards the end zone, right? It wouldn't have been a very long kick. Also, can you imagine what would have happened if the defense broke down a little bit and you had a blocker on Sarah Fuller? she would have got obliterated. But you know what? I'm kind of glad that didn't happen. Because let's say it was the returner that maybe ran her over, or it's one of the blockers that basically threw her into the 12th row. That person would be castigated as a, a you know, sexist, woman-hating, horrible person for the rest of their lives. When all they were doing was putting a hat on somebody and playing football. Like, but again, Vanderbilt was 0-7 going into that game when they pulled this little stunt. They took their eighth loss by, by Mizzou that day. They lost something stupid like 45 to nothing. It was ridiculous. And the head coach was fired right after the game. Right after the game. But the, the ridiculousness of this whole situation didn't stop. On December the 12th versus Tennessee, Fuller became the first woman to score a point by kicking a point after. Right? She, she kicked a, a PAT. I think she kicked two that game. Um, and the, the, the funny thing about this is by then, the original kicker, that had been sick was now a part of the team again, right? They'd gone through the COVID protocols. They're back. They're ready to go. But they still put Sarah Fuller out there to do the PATs, which you might be thinking, okay, well, then we're also going to have her kick the field goal attempts, right? Nope. The regular kicker did the field goals, but they found some reason to bring Sarah Fuller out to kick the PATs. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, don't other teams, I don't watch a lot of football, do other teams have one person do the point afters and one person do the field goals? No, no, they do not have people. There have been teams where the place kicker that does the kickoff is not the same person as the field goal kicker, but that is unbelievably rare, like almost unheard of in modern college football or in the NFL. But Vanderbilt football, which is a joke, no one's talking about Vanderbilt football before November of this year. And now all of a sudden it's on the tip of every woke person's tongue. How progressive and how great Vanderbilt is that they brought out a woman to kick a PAT where there was no chance of her getting hit, no chance of something bad happening. All she had to do was kick the ball through the uprights. And for any of you that are automatically, well, go, could you do that? No, kicking's pretty hard unless you know how to kick. 
She's a goalie. She knows how to kick a ball. It is not impressive. It is not bound like boundary breaking. But here's the thing. Why don't we break all the boundaries? Why don't we make Sarah Fuller the first girl to play defensive tackle? Why don't we make her the first person to play right guard? Why don't we make her the first person to be quarterback? Let's just have her take a snap and kneel down so she can be the first woman that did this. I thought the ultimate troll job would have been right after they fired the coach, right? Like right after the game where they got destroyed to just hire Sarah Fuller. She would then go from being the first woman to play in a power five game to being the first head coach. That's a woman in a power five conference. I mean, Vanderbilt, if you're going to do this, do this. I mean, go all the way. But guys, you want to talk about the Overton window? Eventually we're going to have, oh, this is the second person ever to do this. Or the first woman to take a snap on offense. Or the first transgender woman or transgender man to play in the NCAA. Again, a lot of these schools are only about their woke bona fides and that's all that they're trying to accomplish, right? But that is by far the dumbest sports story of 2020. And I'm going to get off of this before I keep sweating. All right, now we're going to go into somewhat of a somber um, somber part of the podcast. We're going to go over some noteworthy deaths that happened in 2020. So a lot of these you heard about, but some of them you might not have. Uh, one of the top ones for most people this year was when Kobe Bryant died in a helicopter crash at the age of 41. Ravi Zacharias died this year at the age of 74. We've already talked at nauseam about him. Sean Connery, famous actor, died at 90. Kenny Rogers, the musician, died at 81. Eddie Van Halen, one of the most uh, famous guitarists of all time, died at 65. Chadwick Boseman, as we mentioned, the actor, died at 43. Diego Maradona, so the the famous Argentinian soccer player, died at 60. Alex Trebek, the host of Jeopardy, died at 80. Whitey Ford, uh, famous Yankees pitcher, died at 91. Gail Sayers, uh, Hall of Fame football player, died at 77. Uh, United States Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg died at 87. Lou Brock, who is uh, one of the greatest Cardinals baseball players of all time, died at 81. And then maybe the greatest pitcher of all time, Bob Gibson, died at the age of 84. Again, another Cardinals great. Herman Cain, a former uh, candidate for the presidential nomination for the Republican side, died at the age of 74. Regis Philbin, the entertainment and TV show host, died at 88. Charlie Daniels died, so Devil Went Down to Georgia, died at the age of 83. And there were a lot of other folks, but those are just some of the people that passed away this year, so just wanted to remind you of that. And another thing in terms of reminding you, I'm going to go over now some of the news that you've likely forgotten that actually happened in 2020. Because 2020 is one of the biggest recency things I've ever seen. There's so many things that happened in 2020, it's almost impossible to remember things that happened approximately 12 months ago. So I'm going to run down a list right now of some of the news that you've likely forgotten that actually did happen this year. Do you guys remember that Donald J. Trump was actually impeached this year? His trial began on January the 16th and he was acquitted on February the 5th. Yes, that happened in 2020. All the other things that happened with the election and COVID and all the different things, him, you know, he was impeached this year for nothing. Basically nothing. That happened in 2020. Also, Tiger King. I think it was the second most watched thing on Netflix this year was Tiger King. That was released on March 20th. So again, had another black guy for the state of Oklahoma. I I can't stand it. It's either tornadoes or tiger people. Uh, That's basically what Oklahoma is known for, but that was released this year. Kim Jong-un, he died sorta this year, but then not really because a report came out on April the 25th that he had died of a botched heart surgery. And then we saw his sister kind of going out and doing the public things for North Korea. But then apparently he's not dead. He's been seen, but he hasn't been seen. So that's the thing that happened this year. Uh, also this year, 
UFOs are real, apparently. So in April the 27th, the Pentagon of the United States released three declassified videos of the United States Naval pilots encountering UFOs. They actually call them unexplained aerial phenomena, but that doesn't have the same ring to it as a unidentified flying object. So at no point does this mean that you know, aliens are real or that they're, they're looking in on us or anything like that. But it was interesting to see that the Pentagon said, yeah, Hey, uh, these videos happened. We have no idea what they are. We have no idea what that technology is. So run with that. If you want to murder hornets, that was a thing. So have you ever heard of these things? Murder hornets. These things are like three or four times the size of a normal hornet, which talk about, you know, nightmare fuel. Goodness gracious. Those were first found in Washington state in May. Didn't really turn into much of a story, but those were kind of scary for a little bit. Chaz Chop happened this summer. So if you remember that, that was on June 8th is when that started. It lasted less than a month. But Chaz, you know, the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone or the Capitol Hill Occupied Protest, that was where you had a bunch of people took over some, some blocks in Seattle and they basically set up their own country, right? This is our autonomous zone. This is our occupied protest. And the interesting thing about that, these people were Marxist, Antifa type folks. And the very first thing they did is they set up borders, they set up laws, they had people enforcing laws and stuff like that, basically their police. But at some point, the even in the incredibly liberal city of Seattle, they're like, okay, this is ridiculous. Someone needs to be the adults here. And they went and broke that up. That happened this year. Kanye West ran for president. So if you live in a state where he wasn't on the ballot, maybe you didn't know that, but in my state he was, and I actually know morons that voted for this guy, but he announced that he was running for president on July 4th of this year, appropriately enough. Also, the state of California had a bunch of wildfires this year. You may have forgotten about that. They raged for most of the year, uh, but the state of emergency was actually declared by the governor on August the 18th. That went down. We had a big hurricane this year. You probably forgot about that. Hurricane Laura made landfall in late August. You know, there were a lot of island nations that were affected a lot by that. There are a few dozen people that passed away. So that definitely happened. Um, Netflix reveals how much they love pedophilia. That happened this year. So the Cuties film was released on September the 9th. And if you go back to episode 153 of this podcast, I talk about, it's called Yes, You Should Cancel Netflix. But basically they released a movie that was supposed to be a social commentary on, you know, basically the sexualization of young people by showing the sexualization of young people. So that was interesting to know. And the last thing that you may have forgotten about for this year is, uh, yeah, Donald Trump and his wife, they both got COVID-19. I know that seems like it was a million years ago. That was announced on Twitter October the 1st. On October the 1st, our 70-something-year-old overweight president said that he had COVID-19. Now, I remember that that was massive news at the time, but do you remember what it was like like two or three days later when he was like, yeah, I feel better. I feel better. Everything's the best it's ever been. Like, yeah, that, that totally happened. But he did have COVID. So there's some of the stories that you may have missed this year. Now we're going to get into some, you know, I'm feeling very, you know, very emotional at the end of the year. And I want to give people some awards, right? I've done awards for best podcasts. I've done awards for best books, but there are some more awards that need to be handed out before we actually put a, you know, close the book on 2020. So let's go over the biggest hoax of 2020. The biggest hoax is is kind of a all encompassing category because the biggest hoax of 2020 is pretty much every racist attack or every racist thing that happened because almost every story of, you know, someone having, uh, the N word spray painted on, on their, their fence or someone writing a racist thing on a receipt or whatever, almost all those things ended up being false. This was the great year of trying to be a victim of racism. 
The biggest of that, the biggest perpetrator of that would probably be Bubba Wallace, the NASCAR driver. That's probably the biggest one. So for any of you that didn't know what ha- what happened, is Bubba Wallace claimed that somebody put a noose in his garage, right? So if you don't know, Bubba Wallace, I believe, is half black, but he is the first, I think, uh, African-American um uh, you know, driver in NASCAR. And so, you know, great for him. You know, if, if that means something to you, great, that's awesome. But he claimed that somebody put a noose in there. And obviously for blacks in America, a noose has a pretty specific connotation to going back to the days of lynching, especially in the South. It's a horrific, horrific history, right? So the FBI sends like two dozen agents down to this garage to do an investigation on what ended up being a garage pull. It's a rope to open and close a garage door. Because it's easier to grab a thin rope if you put a little loop in the bottom of it. And the reason that they knew that this wasn't directed at Bubba Wallace as a racist noose is because other people that had used the exact same NASCAR garage has been like, yeah, that's, that's been here for years. That was like three drivers ago we put that in because we were having trouble opening and closing the garage door. But that didn't stop Bubba Wallace from coming out and saying, no, 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 this is definitely what it is. And, you know, he, he showed up at the next NASCAR race with a Black Lives Matter shirt. And they did this whole walking memorial thing for black lives and systemic racism and all that. But it was a hoax. It was nonsense. Right now. I don't think he did it on purpose. I don't think there's any evidence to show that Bubba Wallace did this on his own. But it is kind of interesting that in the year where you can get the, the most amount of sympathy for a racist, racist attack happening, that this would be the year that he would look up at the, the ceiling and see that rope and be like, oh my gosh, someone has put a noose here. So that's where I get pretty cynical about this is Bubba Wallace had used that garage for a while and he had never looked at that pool that he likely used and thought to himself, racist, never once. But there you go. Biggest hoax of 2020, pretty much every racist attack that we ever saw. Now, I'm going to move on to the most concerning news story of 2020, the most concerning news story of 2020. And that was when big tech decided to block the dissemination of the Hunter Biden story. So the Hunter Biden story has a lot of things to it, but basically he left a laptop at this uh, laptop repair place in Delaware. He never went to go pick it up. The guy actually looked at it. Um, the guy that owned it, cause basically if you go to one of these stores and if you don't pick up your device within a certain period of time, you don't own it anymore. It's up. Uh, it's now the ownership of the shop and they can do whatever they want with it. So this guy looks at it. He finds a lot of damning stuff about Hunter and Joe Biden and the entire Biden family in terms of how they're operating overseas in Ukraine in China, all the things, right? But when the news story was broke by the New York Post, you could not share it on Twitter. If you shared it on Twitter, they would shut down the tweet and shut down your account. The New York Post had their Twitter account basically banned for multiple weeks. Every news outlet didn't even touch this. And if they did, they were like, oh yeah, it's Russian disinformation. Facebook preemptively before the fact check, right? And again, I say fact check very loosely because it's their own internal fact checkers that are also Biden fans. Before the fact check, Facebook basically came out and said, yeah, we're, we're going to basically stunt the dissemination of this story. That's the most concerning story of 2020 because did the, did the blocking of that story, you know, can, can keep Donald Trump from winning the presidency? I don't think so, but it reveals a larger issue. And, and I think that this is important. And we may talk about this more on a future podcast. When you say that the 2020 presidential election in the United States of America was rigged, most people think that these these people were just pulling out truckloads or, you know, basket loads full of votes and counting them, right? And in putting them all in the Joe Biden category, which guys, there's been a lot of uh, a lot of 
hearsay about that. There's been a lot of evidence that we've kind of seen, but it hasn't been proven in a court of law. So if it did happen, we don't know about it. But all I know is it's very interesting that the only reports that we have of ballots being dumped for a political candidate all went to the same candidate and they all went to Joe Biden. How interesting. A guy that's almost 80 years old who can barely put a sentence together got 80 million votes in the United States. Maybe it did. Maybe it didn't. But we're not going there right now. But the interesting thing is when you say rigged, that's what they think. They think someone in the dead of night bringing in a bunch of votes. But I like what other people have said. I like what you know Tucker Carlson has said or Ben Shapiro or other people. What rigged the 2020 election was the news and big tech's coverage of the election. Because big tech did not let you see the Hunter Biden story. And some people are like, well, that actually made the story bigger. No, it didn't. Because most people don't have a wide attention span. So they weren't following this story. They just knew it never came up, right? It never really occurred to them. But in 2016, the media felt like they were somewhat complicit in allowing, yes, allowing Donald Trump to win the presidency over Hillary Clinton. And the, the FBI and the DOJ basically coming out and saying, yeah, we're, you know, we're looking at Hillary's emails. That was within two weeks of the election. They feel like that damaged her and they weren't going to make the same mistake in 2020. And so Google search results were adjusted. You know, whenever they do an autofill, and auto-populate for the rest of what you're trying to type in, you know, it would be like Donald Trump. And then one of the things that would be, would show up was, is a racist. You know, it just things like that, that you wouldn't see for Joe Biden, right? Someone who has actually said incredibly racist things outside a lot and never really t- took them back or out loud, not outside. But that's why I feel like it's the most concerning news story of 2020 is because big tech and the mainstream media are not going to stop doing what they're doing. Just because Donald Trump has been silenced for now, does not mean that he's going to be silenced forever, but they're going to continue to try. And there's not something special about Donald Trump. They're going to do this to the next Republican candidate as well, because big tech is overwhelmingly left. Mainstream media is overwhelmingly left. What is their, what is their motivation to not continue to sway public opinion by using their, their power? So mainstream media is not the, the main disseminator of information now. It's social media. It's big tech. So if Google doesn't want you to find something historically, they can just delete it. They can delete any existence of it. You won't be able to find it through them. So that's something to keep, a, keep an eye on. But yeah, the most concerning news story of 2020, big tech blocking the dissemination of the Hunter Biden story. Next, we have the most insane news story of 2020. And this is one that happened just in the last few weeks. The CDC, the Centers of Disease Control for the United States, initially tranches the COVID-19 vaccine distribution based on race and not overall need. Yes, this is a real thing that happened. I'm going to read this little snippet here from the Daily Mail, but it's here. Quote, Every U.S. state has been advised to consider ethnic minorities as a critical and vulnerable group in their vaccine distribution plans, according to the CDC, CDC's guidance. As a result, half of the nation's states have outlined plans that now prioritize black, Hispanic, and indigenous residents over white people in some way, unquote. Now, if that sentence strikes you as racist, it's because it is. The CDC the Centers for Disease Control in the most prosperous country in the history of the planet, when they told these states how they should be releasing the COVID-19 vaccine, originally from Pfizer, but then with Moderna, and where we don't have as many right now as we're going to need over the coming months, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's tight. They're saying 
that you should give it to people that are black, Hispanic, and indigenous, regardless of any of their other characteristics. So the thing about this story that was so insane is really two parts. Number one, even people on the left were calling out the CDC for this. And number two, the fact that it was even thought up to begin with. So what people pointed out from the very beginning is that this was intended to have a positive impact on people of color, right? Because a lot of people that find themselves as frontline workers in hospitals, nurses, those types of things, they happen to be a higher percentage than normal population, you know, of of black, Hispanic, indigenous people, right? They're, they're just higher than the normal population statistics in those particular professions. But the reason why they were talking about this is because the majority of elderly people in the United States who are the most susceptible to dying from COVID-19 are white people, right? When, when the majority of the population is of a particular color, it makes sense that the majority of the elderly people in that same population would be of that same color. But this is certifiably insane. And I am so happy that even people on the left pointed out that, wait a minute, you're going to allow more black, brown, and other folks to die as elderly people because you want to give this vaccine to a 20-year-old black, brown, or whatever people so that you don't end up accidentally giving it to an old white person. Because as opposed to giving it to an 80-year-old white person, we would rather give it to the 20-year-old black nurse who's basically not susceptible to dying from this disease at all. The chances of her dying from that disease are like the chances of her getting struck by lightning as she's being attacked by a tiger shark. But the thing about this is it was pushed back on. The public outcry was so extreme that the CDC and a lot of the state organizations, state health departments were like, oh, okay, you know, I guess we'll trench this out uh, mainly to where we give it to old people. You know, the people who are actually going to possibly die from COVID-19. But that is the most insane news story that I've heard. And guys, that's not going to be the last one where we're going to see these things happen because the CDC or some of the officials, they thought that they were evening the score a little bit like that. That's what they were kind of going for is, Hey, we're going to look at these supposedly marginalized people that, you know, in 2020 are currently being discriminated against just based on their, you know, immutable characteristics of the amount of melanin in their skin. And we're going to write the ship right now. And the way that we're going to write the ship is we're basically going to give them access to life where we won't give these other people access to life just because they're old and white. Like that is crazy. That is wildly, insanely racist. And guys, there, there's really no other way to describe it than racist. And so something to keep an eye on, because this is not going to be the first time that we're going to have this type of discussion about something like this, about someone trying to write historical injustices on a people group based on something that they can do today. Just crazy. Then we've got the next thing here. It's the most overblown news story of 2020. So the most overblown news story of 2020, in my opinion, is the killing of George Floyd. So obviously the fact that George Floyd is death uh, is dead now is tragic. Um, Derek Chauvin is going to be put on trial for that. And, you know, they're going to figure out basically what happened there. I go into great, great detail on the killing of George Floyd on episodes 142, 143, and 144 of this podcast in the Race in America series. But it's the most overblown news story for a lot of different reasons. Um, Because George Floyd's death wasn't indicative of anything. But most people are trying to convince you that it's indicative of a deep-seated bias in historical systemic racism of the United States. And it's specifically propagated by racist white cops. But what happened on that day in Minnesota is not indicative of any of those things. Okay? Because I said on the podcast, and I still say, 
George Floyd is dead partially because of what Derek Chauvin did. Derek Chauvin's actions partially led to the death of George Floyd that day. But also, George Floyd's actions led a lot to his death that day. Because if he didn't resist arrest, it's very unlikely that he would have died in police custody. But also, a very underreported thing is George Floyd had enough fentanyl in his system that day to kill a woolly mammoth. And so, in, in the nature that he died, like, the, the original coroner's report didn't show that he died from asphyxiation. He died from a, a cardiac event, right? Well, if you have enough fentanyl in your system, that's one of the ways that kills you is by a massive cardiac event. So again, I'm not absolving Derek Chauvin of anything, not, not anything at all, but it was such an overblown news story. George Floyd was put up as, as the saint uh, of social justice, and it just didn't really make a lot of sense. And then that led to most everything else. You had Rayshard Brooks and you had all these other situations, Breonna Taylor, and everyone can kind of point back to George Floyd now as as they've been doing with people like Michael Brown for years. It's like, is George Floyd the guy that that we should be honoring? Because even if he died, even if he was murdered, that doesn't mean the guy needs to be honored. He was apparently a pretty horrific human being. He once pointed a gun at a pregnant woman, right? While he was robbing her. So this is not some guy that you should tell your kids about George Floyd and you use him in the same sentence as someone as a Martin Luther King Jr. or Medgar Evers or like, really? George Floyd? So yeah, that was by far the most overblown news story of 2020. The fact that we will say the name George Floyd for decades to come and know what that attaches to is pretty silly. The next award I want to hand out is the most talked about news story of 2020, which surprise, surprise is going to be the 2020 presidential election. The reason why I'm saying that, and I'm not really going to go into any detail here is because everything that we experienced this year was seen through the lens of the election. Okay. Everything, every news story, the killing of George Floyd, you know, what LeBron James says on Twitter, you know, the way the wind's blowing, the wildfires, you know, global warming, everything had to do with Donald Trump and everything had to do with the election right? Which leads to the last award, which is the biggest news story of 2020. And that's the COVID-19 pandemic. Now that even the pandemic, the way that the pandemic was covered by the mainstream media was in order to make Donald Trump look as poor as possible, as bad as possible. That's why we always looked at cases and not deaths. That's why we always looked at total number of cases as opposed to the number of cases by age group in terms of the population, right? But as of right now, there are 80 million worldwide cases of COVID-19 that have been reported, uh, almost 1.8 million deaths, uh, around 330,000 people have died in the United States. So that number will probably end up being somewhere in the 400,000 range or something like that. But that was the biggest news story of 2020, just because of what it changed. Um, It changed how we work. It changed how we interact with each other. (laughs) It changed how we disseminate or believe information. Because just recently, there was kind of a quiet story released about how the CDC basically admitted and the World Health Organization basically admitted, yeah, most masks are, are basically useless. Like in terms of stopping the COVID-19 pandemic, like even an M95 mask, if it's not fitted properly, it's not going to completely keep you from getting this disease. The fact that I have a beard and if I put an M95 mask over it, it's not going to seal properly. I can still give and get COVID-19. It does decrease the amount of load that I put out into the environment or the load that I take in, in terms of from the environment. But there's so many stories that have come up this year and everything has a COVID-19 attachment to it. Guys, this is the biggest pandemic in the history of the world. Not because of how many people it's going to kill, mind you. Because again, this is a disease that even if you get it, the chances of you surviving, even if you're old, are incredibly, incredibly high. But it's because of what we did. 
you know, the, the plague was worse than this. The Spanish flu was worse than this. You know, in terms of death, Ebola was way worse than this. But we shut down the entire world economy for something that is akin to the seasonal flu. The final numbers are going to look strikingly like a bad flu season. But it's the biggest news story because this was released in China. This is the China virus. But was it, you know, a bat to human transition because someone ate a bat? Was it something that was released on accident from a level four, you know, lab in Wuhan? Was it released on purpose by the Chinese government? Like, there's so many things that we don't know and that we'll frankly never know about this vaccine or sorry, about this disease, about this virus. But this is going to be on the tips of our tongues for the rest of our lives. So guys, if you're listening to this and you're young and you got another 80 years in the tank or something like that, you're going to think about COVID-19 periodically throughout your entire life. It's basically people that like grew up during the Dust Bowl or the Great Depression or something like that. It was always hanging above them. So my great grandmother, when she passed away, she would still do things that were indicative of a girl who grew up poor and hungry during the Great Depression. And what types of things are we going to see with COVID-19 as we continue to move forward, right? So that is the biggest news story of 2020. But before we let you go, we are going to do a, a little bit of forecasting. I want to look at some of the likely big news stories that we should expect to see and hear about in the year 2021. Okay. So let's just kind of keep the COVID thing going. One of the biggest stories of co- or of 2021 is going to be COVID, COVID, everything COVID, right? Because it's very likely we're experiencing a second wave right now that we may have a third and fourth wave. Okay. Now, it'll be interesting to see how the media covers that because Joe Biden will be in office. So it's probably not going to be that big of a deal. But yes, there will be third and fourth waves, likely. Uh, There will be continued shutdowns and lockdowns, especially in blue states. Uh, There's going to be a lack of government aid. I know that they just signed some aid relief after months and months and months. They're going to be giving some more relief to people. Um, There's going to be school openings, school closings. You know, there's going to be also this emergence of studies on the effects of the lockdowns on society. Again, there are entire communities in San Francisco, right? The county that San Francisco is in, they've experienced like a a tremendous uptick uptick in overdoses, but they've only had a couple hundred deaths from COVID-19. It's one of the largest cities in the entire United States, a couple of hundred deaths from COVID-19, but so many overdoses, so many suicides. In addition to all the spousal abuse, child abuse, sexual assaults, you know, substance abuse that's going on in communities around the world right now, especially in the United States. So 2021, we're going to start seeing some of the fruits of that. Some of the fruits that we're, you know, basically trying to figure out right now, we're not going to know for a very long time. We're not going to know what two years of masking is going to do to the psychological development of children. Because you should see my son. My son is eight months old. When I look at him and I have a mask on, the, the, the confusion in his face is readily apparent. But what if you're two years old and all you've ever seen are people in masks? How's that going to affect you? Your ability to read people, to mimic people. We're going to have tremendous, tremendous prices to pay for the decisions that we've made as a people and specifically that our politicians have made for us. So that's going to be a big news story for 2021. Another one is going to be on January 5th. Uh, the United States Senate has a runoff election in the state of Georgia, has huge implications for the entire country, but incumbent David Perdue, who's a Republican, is going against John Ossoff, the Democrat, and Kelly Leffler, who's the Republican incumbent, is going against Raphael Warnock, who is a Democrat. Here's the thing. If the Democrats win both seats, there's a 50-50 split in the Senate, which basically makes Vice President Kamala Harris the tiebreaker, which is horrible for this country. My goodness, can you imagine? I mean, you're going to have to hope someone like Joe Manchin from from West Virginia is going to basically buck against the Democrats uh, or something like that. 
But all the Republicans need to do is win one of those seats, but hopefully they would win two of those seats. But obviously, if Democrats take both of those seats in Georgia, it's going to create some some major, major issues uh, policy-wise in the United States. Then we've got uh, the inauguration of Joe Biden as the 46th president. So that's going to be going down in January. Again, I could not be more disappointed in that, um, not just because of who Joe Biden is, but who Joe Biden is not going to be able to stop. That's going to be something to watch for. Another thing in 2021 is the spate of incredibly damaging either executive orders if there's no Senate majority or just straight up law uh, changes if there is a 50-50 Senate. There's going to be pro-abortion laws added, anti-gun laws, radical immigration policies, right? Stupid foreign policy, you know, more LGBTQ plus nonsense, attacks on the religious liberty. It's going to be bad. I, and I hope they're executive orders because executive orders don't carry a whole lot of weight and they can be changed whenever the next person comes into office. But, you know, it's a 50-50 Senate. We're going to see a very, very different United States of America. Um, it's very likely in 2021 that we're going to see a major terrorist attack. One thing that you might be thinking is something that 2020 hasn't had as of right now is a major terrorist attack. One that you've heard of, one that was in the news for more than five seconds. Now, whether you like or hate the guy, part of the reason why we're not seeing a lot of these major terrorist attacks around the world is because people were terrified of Donald Trump. These terrorists are like, oh crap, this Obama guy was awesome. He basically called us the JV squad. We can go chop off heads and no big deal, right? If his little drones can't get us, we're going we're gonna to be squared away. Whereas Trump was like, go get him. I don't care. Spend as much money as you want. Like, that's what Donald Trump said. He basically took the chains off the United States military and we hunted those bastards down and we killed as many of them as we could and we're still killing them. But there's probably going to be a major terrorist attack in 2021. And there is going to be a connection to the fact that it's Joe Biden in office and not, you know, a, a bulldog like Donald Trump. I hope that it doesn't happen. I'm not praying for that by any means, but I would be surprised if we didn't see one. Also, one thing that we're going to see in 2021 is Trump is going to begin his 2024 campaign. There's already signals that on the day of Biden's inauguration that he's going to hold, he's basically going to hand the keys of the White House off to Joe Biden, and then he's going to go get on a stage somewhere in Washington, D.C. and start his 2024 campaign. So expect to see that. He might end up taking over Newsmax or another news organization. He might start his own news organization. So that's going to be happening. Also, uh, I would be surprised if we didn't see a school shooting or a mass shooting in 2021 in the United States. That's something that we didn't really see in 2020 uh, either, just because most kids weren't in school. But we're probably going to see something like that. And then we're going to have to deal with all of the anti-gun people again. Uh, another thing that we'll probably see in 2021 is police will kill a quote-unquote unarmed and quote-unquote innocent black man while in their custody. Um, this is something that happens from time to time. And like I've said, and like we've gone over at Nazum on a lot of different podcasts, most of the time these people are not innocent. Most of the time these people are not unarmed. Uh, but the media will spin it in whatever way that they need to. Uh, but if it is a white cop and if it is a black person that ends up passing away, it's going to be everything all over again. We're going to see riots. We're going to see looting. We're going to see Joe Biden virtue signaling. It's going to be nonsense. Also, something to keep up with uh, the trial of George Floyd's killer, uh, supposedly. Derek Chauvin is set to begin in March of this coming year. Several uh, people are trying to delay that until the summer. They're actually trying to move the trial like back into Minneapolis or something like that that's going on. But the trial of Derek Chauvin will happen next year. And guys, I just got to tell you, that's going to be crazy. That's going to be absolutely crazy. I talked about it a little bit earlier. But again, As of right now, the public has not seen any evidence to suggest that Derek Chauvin meant to kill George Floyd. And in order to get a murder charge, which he is currently being charged with second degree murder, you have to prove intent. So first degree murder is premeditated murder, where Derek Chauvin was putting his boots on that morning, knowing that he was going to go out and kill George Floyd. No evidence of that. And they're not charging him with that. But 
Second degree murder is basically where you're not setting out to go do that, but at some point during that day, you've made the decision that person's going to die. And as of right now, I've seen no evidence that that's the case. Derek Chauvin was negligent that day. I don't think he acted in, in a proper way for most of what he did during that interaction with George Floyd. But to say that he meant to kill George Floyd that day, I think that's a stretch. Uh, to be honest with you, I don't think that they're going to get that conviction. Um, you know, they should have gone for manslaughter. Perhaps they still can go for manslaughter. But at the same time, if he is exonerated, this entire country will burn. It's going to be worse than Michael Brown. It's going to be worse than anything that we've seen before. So look forward to that, guys. Uh, also, in 2021, be looking for big tech to continue to censor things. Uh, they will remain censoring people and they will expand that. So especially conservative voices, Christian voices, expect those things to continue to expand. Now they're looking at some different things in terms of Congress, in terms of law changes to basically make it to where big tech can kind of not continue to hide behind the fact that they are just a place where things can be put out there, not an, an exact publisher, but there's a lot of things to go into with that, which we'll probably talk about on later podcasts. Another thing that we'll look at in 2021 is the major work-life balance shifts for companies, because a lot of companies right now, you know, they've got these expensive office buildings or, or these, these suites that they're renting, and they're trying to entice their workers to come home, and their workers have been working at home for the last nine months. Right. It's pretty nice. You know, you roll out of bed, you get your coffee, you go over to your desk, you work for a few hours, you know, you take a break, go walk the dog, you maybe go pick up the kid uh, and take them to lunch. Like people have gotten really used to working at home. And so uh, in the city of Austin, I was talking to somebody, they said that somewhere around like 40% of the commercial real estate in the city of Austin is currently vacant. I don't know if that's true, but a lot of them, you know, these people just aren't coming back. And they're figuring out how to run a company to run a business where people don't actually see each other face to face except via a screen. So we're going to continue to see some of those work-life balances. Some of that's going to shift back. Some of it's going to stay the same. Another couple of things that we should probably look for in 2021 is the continued mass exodus from democratic states like California and New York. I mean, people are leaving California by the thousands now. The, the only thing that's terrifying to me is they're moving to what would considered to be by most red states like Arizona, except for in this latest election, Idaho, and especially Texas. Again, as I've talked about at Nashim, if the Democrats flip Texas, it's over. Like, pack it in. Like, you'll never win the House. You'll never win the Senate. You'll never win the White House. It's going to be a one-party state from here on out. So we're going to continue to see trends like that. And the last thing I'll talk about in terms of what to look for in 2021 is that the Overton window will continue to move and expand. So go back to my podcast where I talk about the Overton window, if you're not familiar with that, but it's basically the things that are appropriate in civil discourse. Just 10 years ago, you would never expect to see a story about a woman playing in a college football game. You would never have thought to see that. You would also never thought to see that, oh, are we actually questioning her gender? Is, is that her preferred pronoun? We've expanded to preferred pronouns as being part of our normal cultural vernacular. But expand, expect the Overton window to especially shift even further in the transgender category. The normalization of transgenderism and transition for children, right? That's going to be expanded. Is this the year where people really start talking about polyamory, about multiple spouses? Is this the year that we do that? You know, is this the year where we, we, we move abortion to the date of birth across the country, even more so? Is this a year where we start talking about infanticide? Like infanticide, like after the kid has passed the magical vaginal canal, you know, in the first few weeks, if we're like, oh, I don't really know if I, I really want to take care of this baby. They're kind of cramping my style and I'm not really getting a whole lot of sleep. 
do we do we release infanticide into the common vernacular? Again, some of these things sound crazy, but just think about the things that were crazy 10 years ago that aren't crazy today. The Overton window will continue to shift. But before I let you guys go, I do have a parting thought for this podcast and for this year. A lot of people have been looking forward to January 1st. They've just been looking at the calendar. They've been counting down the days. They've been marking X's through the days, waiting to get to January 1st, 2021. I just cannot wait until I get 2020 in my rearview mirror, right? But guys, I just got to be honest with you. And you know this to be true. 2021 might not be so great. 2021 might suck too. I mean, just, just think about it. When, when the calendar goes to January 1st, 2021, is your business still out of business? Is the job that you lost still non-existent? Is the family member that you lost going to come back? Is the relationships that you didn't have to deal with because you were able to go to the office, but now you work from home, are those relationships magically going to be healed and better just because the calendar strikes a certain date? Is COVID gone in 2021? Does it just disappear? You know, you know, at New Year's, all the New Year's Eve parties across the world, you know, clock strikes midnight and all of a sudden we all rip our masks off and everything's good to go. So I'm not saying that to be a Debbie Downer. I'm just saying there's nothing special about January the 21st. Nothing. So, sorry, January 21st, January 1st, 2021. There's nothing special about that. It's just another day. Now, if it helps you to say, hey, new year, new me, and this is how I'm going to do it this year, and this is finally the year I get in shape, and this is finally the year I get on a consistent diet, and this is finally the year I read a book, and all those different things, if that's what you need, great. Let the calendar be that for you. But for most people, that doesn't make a difference. By February 1, 2021, you've lost all the gusto. You've lost all the energy. It's just too hard to work out. It's just too hard to read. It's just too hard to whatever, right? It's the same you. It's not new year, new you. It's the same you just a new year. So I want you to prepare yourself to have a tough 2021. That's what resilience is. It's the ability to operate when things aren't great. When all the things around you are on fire and you've got to be ready to operate. You've got to be the strong one in your family. You've got to be the person that people can look to as an example, just in case 2021 is bad. Because guys, I just ran down a full list of things to look for in 2021, and those are all very, very big things. Those are things that could make 2021 somehow, some way worse than 2020 was. And I guarantee you, I will not be caught flat-footed. I'm prepared for a bad 2021. It's not pessimistic of me to think that it might be bad. It allows me to put myself in the right mindset to where if 2021 kicks us in the teeth, like this year did, I'm ready to kick back. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. I really do appreciate it. If you would, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher, and refer your friends to listen and share this on social media. Guys, if we deserve a five-star review, please leave us five stars and a few sentences letting us know why you like the content. I'm currently booking speaking engagements for the entirety of 2021, so if you want me to come speak on your podcast, at your men's event, at your team, your camp, whatever, hit me up, info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. The website is www.undaunted.life. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at undauntedlife or facebook.com backslash undauntedlife. 
Check out our free devotionals on the YouVersion Bible app. Just search Undaunted Life under plans. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their entire music library for our content. The intro-outro track on this podcast is their song Defender, which is off their latest record entitled Guardians. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep cultivating manly resilience, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical toughness, keep seeking the Lion of Judah. I need a defense.